What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode five of the Did You Hear podcast. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And we are bringing you some NFL playoff push action today, Pat. Yeah, exciting. Listen, we're into December. It's crazy how fast the season has, has flown by already. We're into the final month. We're into the playoff push. Remember, there is an extra playoff spot on the line this year, which make things even more interesting. So we think it's a perfect time to really get into some NFL, dive into some dive into two teams to really take you through their playoff push for what should be a very interesting month ahead. Yeah, so as you're listening, make sure to like, rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Did You Hear. We really appreciate the support. Keep engaging with us on those socials. And let's get right into it. Let's do it. So as Pat said, we've got the seven teams. We're going to focus each on one team that we think is most exciting to watch, most interesting to watch that is in the playoff contention, but definitely has to keep things on the same track at a steady path in order to make it into that playoffs and cement their spot there. So I will start and I will focus on the Cleveland Browns. So I'm willing to say, Pat, that if 2020 wasn't occurring the way it currently is, with a lot of background noise, I guess you could say, (laughs) in conjunction with the NFL season, I think so many more people would be talking about the Cleveland Browns because they are eight and three. And right now, they are the five seed in the AFC playoff race. Five. Yeah, listen, it's impressive. They just clinched their first winning record with, or not losing record in a very long time with that win over the Jaguars this weekend. So it's a big deal where the Browns are. It's a big deal. So let's let's bring some, some history into this to give some perspective on how big of a deal this really is. The Browns are looking for their first playoff berth since 2002. That's a 17 year playoff drought, the longest active streak in the NFL. It's the first time since 2007, like Pat said, that they'll have a non-losing record, but they're playing the Jets and the Giants in the future, so they will most likely have a winning record. Watch out for Colt McCoy. Okay, we'll get into that because I actually think that's (laughs) a legitimate statement. I think the Giants still have a chance to win the NFC East with Colt McCoy, which is the most unbelievable thing I've ever heard myself say. But back to the Browns, it's, this is their best record since 1994 because they have won four games total from tw- 2015 to 2017. So it has been a long, long, arduous road for Cleveland and their fan base. And finally, they're getting things back together in 2020. And it's because of their head coach, Kevin Stefanski, It's because they have the best running back core in the league with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And it's because Baker Mayfield, who love him or hate him, he's basically the franchise guy. That's just the position they're in now. They're not good enough to draft a good quarterback now. And they spent all their draft picks on Baker in the past and when they tanked all those years. Not on purpose, of course, but just because they were that bad. So love him or hate him, he's going to be that guy. And finally... We've seen flashes of the potential that he was at Oklahoma and winning the Heisman and being the first overall pick. And it's been a struggle for him these past few years, but finally he has the pieces around him 
where he can be himself and he has a good defense, good running backs, and good receivers to bail him out if need be. So that's the past. Now let's look to the future. They have the 15th easiest remaining schedule, which is just about right in the middle. They play at Tennessee this upcoming Sunday against the Titans, which I think is their most important game of the season. They play the Ravens at home on Monday night football the following week. Then they play the Giants and the Jets away. And their final game of the season is a home game against the currently 10-0 undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. So if they beat the Giants and the Jets and lose the rest, they will finish the season 10-6, and and they'll still have over a 50% chance of making the playoffs and getting that wild card spot. If they lose to the Giants, this is where things get interesting. I'm assuming that they will beat the Jets because if the Browns lose to the Jets, I don't even know what will happen to the world. The analysts will physically fall out of their chairs and will not be able to be revived. (laughs) So I'm going to give them the win over the Jets. The Giants, I think, are decent enough to put up a fight. And if Baker has a bad game or if Nick Chubb... It keeps experiencing those injury issues, whatever it may be. If they lose to the Giants, they only have a 20% chance of making those playoffs with nine wins because the AFC playoff picture is so competitive and you've got so many teams on the fringe, on the bubble, who could end up with nine wins just like the Browns. So to sum that all up, I have a really good stat, and this is my did you hear, Pat. Only six teams this season have perfect records against non-winning teams. And five of those six teams, I think you could probably say right off the top of your head. The Steelers, because they're undefeated. The Chiefs, because they're 10-1. and And the Saints, Bills, and Seahawks, because they are all top of their division. The other team that is perfect against teams that have a worse than 500 record is the Cleveland Browns. And the reason why that's a big deal is because last year they finished four and four against teams worse than 500. It's a big deal when you're a good team and you're beating the bad teams because that's what's supposed to happen. If you if they were to beat all the non-winning teams and beat and lose to all the teams over 500, they would be 10 and six overall and they would be nine and zero against winning teams. That doesn't happen all the time, Pat. That means that the the Browns capitalized when they needed to. There, of course, were teams better than them. But if you can't even beat the bad teams, and we had some scares when they only beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 27 to 25. But I'm just saying the only teams right now with positive win-loss records against teams over 500, besides the Steelers and the Chiefs, because they are far and away the best teams in the league right now, are the Bills, who are 4-3. and three. Everybody else is even at best. The Browns are 1-3 against winning teams, 7-0 and versus losing teams. Their good win is against the Colts, and their losses are to the Ravens, the Steelers, the Raiders, who are over 500. So I just want to, I wanted to illuminate that point because that means the Packers are only 3-3 three and three against teams with winning records. The Browns are one in three. That means they're a good team, but the stat that matters more is that currently 
they have a winning record against teams less than 500. And that is what you have to do if you want to be a good team and make the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Cleveland is, it's it's such an an interesting team and a team that I still can't fully figure out. Like you said, listen, they are leaps and bounds better than what they have been. And and I'm with you with coaching that it makes such a big difference. I mean, think about them with Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens about how much of a train wreck it was for for those years and Kevin Stefanski has come in and really helped stabilize that organization which you cannot underestimate how important that is to be able to do they just they scare me and I cannot buy into them entirely because of just some of their performances have been so bad this year that I, I don't think I can trust them I mean, you've got, they've been blown out by the Ravens. They put up six points in a loss against the Raiders. They barely beat the Jaguars here. (laughs) They got blown out by the Steelers. They have talent. I think they probably make the playoffs because of that remaining schedule. But man, they are so hot and cold that I'm not sure I can fully buy into them. I do think Baker Mayfield's been better, but I also still believe he's a supplemental piece to the team. He's not, I don't think he's a star that, as you said, that running game is the key for them. When Nick Chubb is healthy, Nick Chubb is a top three, top five running back in this league. Kareem Hunt is as good as a second punch as you can possibly have. He's going to start for basically every other team in the league. And then what, what it really comes down to for Cleveland is their defense. I mean, their defense is good. Uh, especially with Miles Garrett missing the last couple games. He just got activated, so he'll come off that. Denzel Ward has been really, really good for them out at corner. I do think that they make the playoffs, uh, especially with that seventh spot, but I cannot put my full confidence behind this team with how Jekyll and Hyde they can be. No, that that is 100% fair, and that is exactly why I put them in the push category instead of the guaranteed category. So when I Definitely. sat down... And did this prep, I literally separated every single team into a category. I had the guarantees, the probables, the making the push, which was probably about 20 teams, the unknown as in the NFC East, because I truly have no idea what's <laughs> going Very fair. And then other, like the Raiders were in that category. The Falcons were in that category, just because what they're doing now is, is pretty unprecedented. And then the outs, the Jets, the... Jaguars, the Bengals, etc. So you got into it. Let's get into the nitty gritty because like I said, Baker isn't that franchise guy. All he has to do, Pat, is be decent because I really think the supplemental pieces can bail him out. So let's talk about the Jacksonville game specifically. Baker was 19 for 29 passing, 258 yards and two touchdowns. That was his first touchdown pass in the month of November, on November 29th, I believe was the date on Sunday. So a lot of that has to do with the weather. He had that horrible game against the Raiders and a horrible game against the Eagles, I think, when it was so, the weather the was so The Texans bad. game. The Texans, Texans game was the the one with the crazy wind. And that, you're, com- you're completely right on. I do not hold that against him at all. I'm not sure anyone could have really played right. in that game. So you don't hold it against him. It's unfortunate, but it's also like, of course, it's going to happen to Baker and they're not even going to score more than seven points. But the Browns are 4-0 in games decided by a touchdown or less. I keep thinking about that Cincinnati game where he started off 0-5 with an interception. And then from there, he completely went off. That was the last touchdown he threw 
that was the last touchdown he's thrown. So he hasn't had a touch an interception since that game, four straight games, which is the longest streak of his career. Through 11 games this season, Baker Mayfield only has seven interceptions, and he had 13 last year. So all Baker has to do is not do is not make the bad passes. <laughs> it's more about not doing something than doing something right. He had some really bad misses against Jacksonville, two receivers in the ed- in the end zone that he blatantly missed. Pat, it was horrible. It was blatantly really bad. Missed. And it's happened before. It wasn't like this was a a once in a blue moon scenario. If he does that against teams like Tennessee or teams like Baltimore and I don't even think they have a chance over the Steelers. If he does that against teams with playoff hopes, they're going to capitalize on that, and they're lucky that Jacksonville didn't. They Actually, they did, and they just couldn't make it over the hump because they stink. But <laughs> That's a fact. Ba- Baker needs to be better. He has been. He's actually the fifth highest. He has the fifth, fifth highest QB grade in the last six weeks behind guys like Mahomes and Rodgers and Wilson and actually Kirk Cousins, who's been playing well. But I think it's more about the running game. Nick Chubb is an absolute beast. He averages six yards per carry. He actually is the best in the fourth quarter, which I think works well for the Browns. He's carried the ball 22 times in the fourth quarter this season. He averages 12.5 yards per carry. Like Baker, all you have to do is be the supplemental piece. If you have a running back that good, plus Kareem Hunt, and they have a really good tandem situation where one can rest while the other is out there. And it doesn't even really matter who's out there because they're both so good. Yeah, it's true. And so like like we were saying, you know, Cleveland, when they win, it, it depends on the running game. I mean, they lead the league in rushing yards per game. So that, that is what they do. And I'm, I'm almost to, ready to go as far as to label Mayfield a game manager at this point. Just... They do better when he doesn't try to force things. So like you said, it's been, this is the best stretch of his career interception wise that he hasn't thrown one in the last four games. As you also said, he went touchdownless for the rest of the month other than that last game. What's really helped him is that the offensive line has been so much better this season. Last year, he was sacked 40 times. He's down to just 17 so far through the 11 games. So they're definitely on pace to do much, much better there. So for Mayfield, it's really about stay upright, get the ball out fast, and do not turn it over, hand that ball off to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and they can get some wins, and that's all they need. I mean, how many more wins do they really need to get into the postseason? Definitely one, maybe two. So they're almost there. It's just they can't have him implode, and you know what? For the last month, he hasn't, And, and that's what they need. He hasn't. And it's not, when you're looking at the numbers, his numbers don't jump off the page. And I actually think that's a good thing. He doesn't have over 300 passing yards all season. His highest is 297, which was week seven. And 258, which was this past week, week 12, was the highest since then. So he's doing just enough. That offensive line stat is huge because he has more time in the pocket. And last year and the year before that, when he didn't have time in the pocket, that was when he was rushing throws. And when Baker is under pressure, he doesn't do well. That's when he makes the bad pass. And the difference now is that he he has matured. You, you have to give it to him. He's he matured has. enough where he realizes that 
gunslinging the ball down the field and trying to thread the needle with that pass isn't worth it. And I think it's worth saying that they're doing it without Odell Beckham Jr. It definitely is. Jarvis Landry had a monster game against the Jaguars. Their tight end is coming along. Yeah, I really like Austin Hooper. They're finally incorporating him into the offense. He's good in the end zone. Uh, He actually had a couple fumbles in the Jacksonville game. But I think he puts that behind him. He's been a good asset for them. T. Higgins is young and fast and a good receiver. So I think that point about the offensive line is honestly the most important because Baker can succeed in rollout situations. All he has to do is not panic. And I like that he's very... um, he he's he holds himself responsible. He's accountable. He tweets at almost every single game after the game and says, "We need to be better. I know that I can be better." Kevin Stefanski knows that that Baker Mayfield can be better. But when Baker has some consistency from that head coaching spot, which I think they found in Stefanski, then I think he'll come into himself. Again, he will never be the best player on this team, but as long as he doesn't make the mistakes he's made in the past, he'll be okay. And I think it really comes down to proving themselves against Tennessee, which I'm not sure they can do based on how good Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill have played in the past few weeks. Yeah, definitely very fair. Just one last point on the offensive line. I have to say that really Jijic Wells, uh, the first round pick, as well as Jack Conklin have really stabilized both tackle positions, which have made a huge difference for Mayfield. And then I have been harsh on Mayfield, but the one thing I will definitely give him is that he has almost halved his interception percentage in one season from from last year, where it was uh, just about four and this year just about two. That That's impressive. Like that is a big big jump for him yes as you said the yards and yards per game are down drastically by about 50 yards but I think you'll take that if you're not getting the turnovers you definitely will and there are other pieces of this team that are showing up in that Jaguars game and in in games past they haven't had the best player on their team the best defensive player in the league Miles Garrett they also were without Denzel Ward And now they lost safety Ronnie Harrison for potentially the rest of the season. So that defense isn't even at full strength, and they've still been able to hold their own against some pretty good opponents. Again, Tennessee is that test. If they put scores up on the board, and if Derrick Henry goes off like he did against the Colts, which is one of the best defenses in the league, will Baker start to feel some panic? And is that when he'll kind of go back into those old ways where he feels like he has to force things. If he doesn't and if he stays calm, again, it's not the end of the world if they lose because they have those fallbacks against the Giants and the Jets. But if they lose to the Titans and the Ravens, they must win against the Giants. Yeah, and I I do. I I know we don't want to focus on that, but I do think the Giants are going to give them a hard time, especially if Jones is back. But we will see. Yeah, so, so generally, I think the Browns will go with nine wins. I would like them to see them beat Tennessee because I think that would be good for their confidence. I don't think they'll pass the Steelers in the AFC North. Neither will the Ravens, in my opinion. But there's always a, that AFC North rivalry, especially at the end of the season, I think will be big for them. But the bottom line for me is that last year, they lost to the Bengals, that, who were 2-14. and 14. They're not doing that this year, and that's why Cleveland has turned itself around and has turned into a potential playoff team. 
Definitely. I'll give them a two and three stretch here to close out the season. 10 wins will absolutely get them in the playoffs. I think they beat the Jets and I think they squeak one out against Baltimore on Monday night. Um, really? Yeah, I'm not high on the Ravens this They're year. They're going in the wrong direction. I'll yes. tell you that. Yes, definitely. So I do think that Cleveland will complete this playoff push and get in. Yes. All right. What was the team you focused on? Absolutely. I am excited to talk about these guys. Um, for the first time in, uh, or the second time in the last 10 years, the Miami Dolphins are going to go to the playoffs. The last time was in 2016. They are currently sitting at 7 and 4. Now, doing some research on it, looking at pro football reference, which I love that, they kind of power rank the teams based on point differential and strength of schedule, and they put that margin together. Miami comes in at 7th, not in the AFC, in the entire league. And that just shows how impressed I've been with this team this year. And I think we talked about it with Stefanski. It's the same concept with the Dolphins. Coaching, coaching, coaching. I mean, going from Adam Gase, what a wonderful coach he has proven to be, to Brian Flores has been such a massive upgrade for them. I mean, even, and the other thing on why I love this Miami team is because they are the epitome of that rebuilding in the NFL does not take half a decade. They were 5-11 and 11 last year, a 5-11 and 11 with not a lot of talent, a 5-11 and 11 where people were like, how did they even get to five wins? And they've turned it around to be 7-4 and four right now on the brink of the playoffs with a very winnable schedule down the stretch. They have Cincinnati at home this weekend. Kansas City is going to be a loss, but then New England, Vegas, and Buffalo. They're sitting on seven wins. I think they need to win two of those to get into the playoffs. I would give Cincinnati a win, and then they just need to win one of New England, Vegas, and Buffalo. I'd say New England or Vegas probably the most likely there, but what is also interesting is that things could go down to week 17 for the division against Buffalo, which that would be one heck of a game in Buffalo. Um, starting with their offense, you know, obviously things start with quarterback play and Tua Tagovailoa has taken over there, did miss last week with the thumb. They're hoping to get him back soon. And while he hasn't really stretched it down the field, he's been pretty good. I mean, six touchdowns, no interceptions so far in his four starts. He's three and one. Most impressively, he had one game winning drive in that, uh, adjusted passer rating of 110, 100 is average. So, you know, he's, he's doing fine. For a rookie that's coming off such a massive, massive injury at Alabama, has really stepped into that offense, and they've been good. Uh, Miles Gaskin has been out the last couple weeks. He has not played since week eight. He is a really strong running back for them, a dual threat, both uh, rushing and receiving. Matt Breida has been in there to kind of carry the load since then. And then what I go with with my did you hear is actually the Dolphins' offensive weapons, and particularly one a player that I think does not get enough love that he deserves. And that's Devonta Parker. I mean, he's one of the more underrated wide receivers in the league. And my did you hear is that he is fifth in the league on contested catch percentage at 74%. 74%. That's huge. To have a receiver that can go up there and make those contested catches when corners are all over them is so important. Because in this league, you're not going to get a lot of separation all the time unless you're one of the top route runners in the league. And Parker's not one of that. So to have him to have the ability to go up there, especially in the red zone, is super, super impressive. Preston Williams, also another good receiver. Mike Kosicki is a solid, solid tight end. So, you know, the offense does enough to be able to win games for them. But 
the star of the Dolphins and why the Dolphins are where they are and why I believe they're going to get into the postseason is that defense. They're second in the league in points allowed per game at just under 19. Only team better than that is Pittsburgh Steelers, and they're not much better than that. They're third in the league in takeaways with 19 as a whole when you factor in the offense as well. They're top five in turnover differential. Um, you know, fourth in completion percentage allowed. You go on and on with the team stats. The defense is really, really good. It's Brian Flores' specialty, and that is what's really carried them there. And because they have difference makers, I mean, Zavian Howard leads the league in interceptions with seven. Remember, they went out and spent all that money on Byron Jones at corner. He hasn't even played very well, but he's only allowed two touchdowns this season and has really strengthened the secondary. And then Emmanuel Agba is fifth in the league with eight sacks. Miami's good. Miami's legit. They're led by their defense. The offense does enough. And because of that, I think they're going to the postseason. They have a they have a schedule that they can capitalize on, to say the least. And I exactly. love I love the Bills being the last game of the season for that AFC East showdown. I love that. Same exact thing with Cleveland and Pittsburgh in week seventeen. So I'm a little bit less into their chances for the playoffs just because that means they have to beat the Pats who are streaking at the right time. And maybe they had that call against the Cardinals that helped them out. They do look better of late. They do look better. Cam Newton is the biggest wild card of all wild cards though. The Raiders are also trending in the wrong direction when people were all of a sudden saying that they were the top five best team in the league. But people were also saying that about the Rams and then they got embarrassed on Sunday. So it's just, if Miami can become the solid, stable team amongst all those other teams, maybe they have a chance. But if they only beat the Bengals, like you said, eight and eight, that means they're eight. They're out. If they beat one other team, nine wins, that's still a little iffy. That's still less than 50% chance to make the playoffs. Yeah, it's listen, it's interesting, especially with that AFC, you know, with those teams around there. I am not high on Indianapolis. I know some people are. I just don't think that offense gives you enough to be able to win games. As I said before, Baltimore is super hit or miss going for that seven spot. I do think they have a chance to make it, but I, I can't love them. And I do not buy into what I've seen out of Vegas the last couple of weeks or New England being able to make a run to jump up from five and six. So I think they kind of get in by default if they win two more games. But it, it is, as you said, it is far from a certain thing. Yeah, it's definitely far. But I like a lot of the stuff you brought up. And you have to give the Dolphins credit for the wins they've amassed thus far. They have good wins over the 49ers, who is another unstable team, but they have shown good flashes. So that's a good win. The Cardinals was a good win and the Rams was a good win. Their bad loss was to the Broncos, which was two weeks ago. That was a disaster a couple weeks ago. It was a disaster. Again, in the long season, you're going to have games like that. But down the stretch, that could be a huge detriment to them. And then the only other quote-unquote bad loss was to the Pats week one, but they were in a much better position, the Pats were then, than they are now. That was just kind of the the unveiling of Cam Newton when he was still highly touted. But I like what you said about the defense and the special teams. That has been big for them. They're also 4-2 and two on the road, Miami is. And again, it's different this year because the crowd and the fans aren't a factor. But that's still big for a 
team led by a young quarterback in Tagovailoa to go into these stadiums and to get wins and to have, to have a winning road record. And the biggest thing for me is that their last five games, they're four and one. So they're, they're gaining that momentum at the right time to go into this stretch. And you know, you, you nailed it on the head. This team could fall on the shoulders of Devontae Parker. And where did he go? Where has he been for the last eight weeks, the last 10 weeks? Because last season, he was like a top 10 wide receiver pick in fantasy. He was there. And that contested number is so important because you need confidence on the quarterback end to throw it up to your receivers and for them to come down with it. You see that with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. You see that with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. You could go on and on with these best receivers in the league, that category. Devontae Parker is almost there, and that stat shows me that he has the potential. He just has to continue to show up because when Ryan Fitzpatrick targets him eight or ten times, that's good news. That means he's getting open, and I think that's positive for the Dolphins because, again, the stableness and the solidity of the defense is there. Now they can just improve their offense. And, of course, the question you have to ask is who will their quarterback be down the stretch and in the playoffs if it occurs, Pat? Oh, that, that's absolutely key. And I do think from everything I'm reading that Tagovailoa is going to come back. I also feel comfortable enough with Fitzpatrick leading them. Again, the fact that I think they just need two more wins to be able to get in and with a favorable schedule. I think they can do it, but I do believe Tua will be back. Devonta Parker, I agree. I want to see him get targeted more. I want to see him get more touches because he is such an influential player. And just another thing, you mentioned special teams that I definitely wanted to go into because special teams, what it really comes down to is a lot of it is coaching. And the sign of a well-coached team is good special teams. And looking at it, Jason Saunders, their kickers, 24 of 25 on field goal attempts this year. They're third in the league with fewest kickoff return yards allowed. And they're top five in most punts down inside the 20. So they're doing everything they need to do to be able to win games on special teams. I think that is a massive, massive sign of good coaching. And it's part of why I've been so impressed with Brian Flores and what he's done down there in Miami. So I do think that... With that said, even with some quarterback uncertainty, just because they do have Fitzpatrick, they're not going to a complete, you know, unknown or random. They're not going to, you know, any of the backups that you can you can want to rattle off. I, I think they get in. And I also believe that two is going to be back pretty soon. It doesn't seem like this thumb is too serious. They're, they're absolutely taking things slowly and being cautious with him because they think he's their franchise quarterback and they know his injury history. So I think it's more of that than a serious one. But of course, we'll see. Yeah, and the funny thing is that you use the word uncertainty, but you still have two quarterbacks that could lead this team to the playoffs. Like, it's not as certain as, oh my God, is Ben DiNucci going to have to be no. the backup quarterback? It's still the, if he hadn't been injured, the number one overall pick in the 2019 draft, still the number five overall. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, who just hangs around and you cannot get rid of him. He is a good quarterback option. 
listen, he was winning games for them earlier this season, which is why I say I'm comfortable if he has to start games here down the stretch. It's it's not like Fitzpatrick has come in cold off the bench, hasn't played in a while. He was starting for Miami going in. He was winning games early in the season, so they have a fine option there. Is it one of the best options in the league? No, but is it going to derail your season? I don't think so. Yeah, and that's when you see guys like Parker and Gusecki and hopefully Miles Gaskin comes back because the loss of him was big. I think if, if the Dolphins had a better run game, that would be pretty lethal too. And I He's love, so key to how they play. He is. And those stats that you brought up again about the special teams, that's the essence of this show, right? Like no one's talking about the special teams numbers for the Miami Dolphins, but that is just another inch of – it's another – some some – what's the word I'm looking for? Like – It's important. It goes into how they win. And Matt Hasselbeck, I I literally remember this so vividly, on Sunday NFL Countdown, he said when he was making game picks for the Titans and the Colts, he said with a serious face, I'm picking Tennessee because they get their punter back this week. And, like, special teams could sway a game in that way. Tennessee has one of the best punters in the game, and having that to fall on when you have a three and out or you can't do it and knowing that your punter is one of the best in the game, it works the same for Miami. If you know that your special team's defense is good enough where you will not let a punt returner return more than 20 yards or whatever the number was, if you know that you can down it within the 10, that just gives your offense and your defense more confidence to work with. And with a young team with Tua, that's really important. Yeah, it certainly does. Flipping the field position is is super critical. And like I said, like you said, it, it's on the, you know, it's on the punter, it's on the gunners to be able to get down there and down these punts inside the 20. So they are top five in that. And it, it makes a huge difference making teams go the length of the field, especially when, um, especially with a, you know, a, an offense that, like we said, two is still getting into it. Um, but I do think that they, they make the playoffs. Yeah, I think the only thing going against them is the strength of the schedules of some of the other teams. The Raiders have the Jets, the Colts, the Chargers, the Dolphins, and the Broncos. So if they were to turn it on, this would be the stretch to do it. So that means their win against Denver is really important so they can have that head-to-head advantage. And then you hope the Colts can beat the Raiders. You hope maybe the Chargers get a win against them. They completely combusted against the Bills. But this is why... The playoff push is so fun to talk about because there are so many teams on the fringe and it's just about which team is going to pull things together, which quarterbacks are going to show up, which defenses are going to hold the fourth down. And that's that's why it's so fun. Yeah. And as we said at the start of the show, that seventh playoff spot added makes a huge difference. And it makes things really interesting for a bunch of teams that are involved here down the stretch. And it should be a very fun month of December as things shake out. And... Not that this was something we hoped for at the beginning, but with the craziness of the schedule that COVID has created, there might be another team too. There might be a week 18 as well, which I would not be surprised by. No. And just with the whole scheduling, the whole scheduling um, fiasco that this has been. But all right. So we've got Cleveland and Miami. Look out for those teams. Of course, you've got the teams on the bubble, the Ravens, the Cardinals, the Vikings are making a push. We, you could literally pick any of these teams to talk about because they all have so many things going up in the air right now. The Rams are another team. Yeah, for sure. There are so many options. Like we said, so many teams in the hunt. Um, 
it's going to be crazy down the stretch. And you know what? That's exactly how the NFL likes it. So (laughs) this should be fun. Yeah. All right. Should we switch to the craziest number we've heard this week? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. All right. So I will start things off with our stat. My stat of the week, my number is the number 125 as we go to the college basketball world. And that is the amount of points that Gonzaga is averaging per 100 possessions. It was just beautiful to watch them. Their first two games against Kansas and Auburn, they hung 102 on Kansas, 90 on Auburn. They're shooting over 70%. Uh, from t- for two-point field goal percentage. Uh, they've got 63% effective field goal percentage, which is fifth in the nation. Jalen Suggs, their uh, highest-ranked recruit ever coming in as a freshman. The, the, the only words I can use to describe him is wow through the first two games. His story is so fun as well because he was offered a scholarship by Ohio State to play football, to be a quarterback. He was the first player in Minnesota history to win M- Mr. Basketball and Mr. Football. In the same year, averaging 18.7 assists and four rebounds uh, through his first two collegiate games. Not even mentioning Corey Kispert, who is a preseason All-American. Drew Timmy has been incredible for them to start. He's only a sophomore, a 6'10 forward, averaging 26.5 points per game and eight rebounds. It's not even fair. Um, Andrew Nemhard is a transfer from Florida, a player I loved at Florida. Ends up going to Gonzaga with Mark Few. Wasn't even expecting to play this year, but the NCAA ended up approving his waiver in their kind of, you know, just throw a blindfolded dart at the board and see if it hits. It worked for Nemhard, and he got clear, cleared. Gives them another option on offense. In, a, in what will be a very interesting college basketball season with how COVID is going to affect it, I think that Gonzaga is going to be the undisputed number one team through most of the year. I mean, there is so much talent on this team. They are so good, and they're so fun to watch. That that number made me laugh out loud. That many points. It almost seems like before the season even started, all this these teams knew that they were chasing Gonzaga. And game after game that they play, it gets just gets harder and harder for anyone to imagine how anyone can beat Gonzaga. Oh, it's they have a tough game tonight. They play West Virginia, but I'm not sure West Virginia has. West Virginia and Bob Huggins known for their defense. I'm not sure they have the offense to be able to keep up with this team. They are so impressive. Also, I did want to mention this is the first time they've ever opened up as preseason number one. Mark Fuse had a lot of really good teams, a lot of teams that have come on strong, a lot of teams that have been ranked in the top 10. This is probably his best ever one. And I love that for Mark Few, and it's been a long time coming. Like, he's gotten close last year, maybe would have been the season, but there are a lot of other question marks. Of course, with March Madness, there are always going to be question marks. But his team right now is the best in the NCAA, and it's been a long time coming from him where he's just building upon the foundation that he has. And I literally tweeted last night, Pat, what is it that makes college basketball so great? Is it that on any given day, any person on the bench can show up and have the game of their life, and it doesn't matter if they were the best recruit in their class or the 276th best recruit. Or is it that the, the, the Hartford team could go out and beat Villanova? That obviously didn't happen, but it could. And I think it's a mixture of both because you see all these storylines and you see Jalen Suggs and how good he's been and these teams who show up Gonzaga has built the culture 
and they have the coaching staff and now they have the players, the high-ranked recruits who go to Gonzaga and know that they can build a culture of success there. And that's what's made that's what makes college basketball so great because even though we have this star in Gonzaga, who knows what'll happen? That's the best part. Oh, that that's why you gotta love it. So first off, shout out to Eric Dixon. Uh, who had an incredible oh game God. yesterday for Villanova coming we off the love bench. Eric Dixon. Yes, no, that was fantastic to see, to, to your point and to your second point through. I mean, San Francisco just beat Virginia, you know, a couple days ago, and what Virginia is going to be one of the better teams in the country this year. So, yeah, I think we all love that that aspect of college basketball, and I think there's going to be a lot of that this season. But I think Gonzaga is going to be the team that rises above a lot of that because they are just so loaded. They are going to be, they're so hard to defend. They go at a fast pace. They've got shooters. Suggs is literally a football player driving the lane and can finish through contact. Um, they, they are going to be tough to dethrone at, at points this season. I was just going to say that they have such a good mixture of, of guards and bigs. They're so good with ball handling skills. They're so good on transition offense and defense. They're all over the rim. They're all over the boards. And all of that together makes for the best team. And we lost to Virginia Tech. So it's definitely going to be a big season for upsets. And we meant to say it at the beginning, but we're going to introduce something in our, our, our the past few weeks. And with college basketball season getting underway, we're going to have a short, probably 15 to 20 minute post-game reaction podcast every time Villanova plays. So... Again, we're two alums from Villanova. We're really passionate talking Villanova basketball. After every game, make sure to tune in on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, anywhere you listen to your podcast, just like this weekly Wednesday one. But it'll be after every every Villanova basketball game, and we'll just bring our reactions. We'll have some good numbers, and we're super excited to start start putting that out there. Yeah, we're excited to be able to bring some more content uh, during the week, which will be definitely exciting for us, and hopefully you guys like it as well it'll give us an opportunity just to react after the game like emma said not long probably 10 20 minutes or or so just but be able to break down the game talk about what we saw and just give you an area to come to to get some villanova basketball content consistent villanova basketball audio content which should be really exciting i'm definitely looking forward to getting started with the hopefully game being played on sunday against texas i mean you never know with this uh with the scheduling but what was your stat of the week yeah, that Texas game will be really good. That'll actually be a good game for us to start with because it should be very competitive. But we're just hoping, yeah, bring 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 questions to us on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, and we'll really hope to, to bring that engagement up. So for my, the craziest number I heard this week, I'm going to keep it in football, but I'm going to bring it to a team we haven't talked about, and that is the Kansas City Chiefs. The craziest number I heard this week is 110.7. And that is Patrick Mahomes' passer rating. The reason why that's such a big deal is because on Sunday, he finally got to 1,500 career passes, which qualifies him for a passer rating record. It's like, you know, when you see on the screen, men, 1,500 passes. So he's only 25 years old. He finally got to that mark on Sunday. His passer rating of 110.7 is now the all-time record, Pat. Patrick Mahomes, in the first game that he was eligible to even be on the record board, to be on the board, he now holds the record. Deshaun Watson is in second place with 103.6 passer rating. 
Mahomes is leaps and bounds above that, over seven points higher. The other craziest thing is that only four quarterbacks in NFL history have a career rating above 98.7. Patrick Mahomes is 12 points higher than that. What he's doing is literally unimaginable. He won't, we've talked about this before. It's the, it's the LeBron and Tom Brady syndrome. Because he's so good, we start getting used to his greatness, which means he won't win the MVP award every season. But what Patrick Mahomes is doing has literally never been done before. He has the best passer rating in the history of the NFL at 110.7, and it's not even close. It it feels like even using the term generational at this point is selling him short. And like, can you like just think about that? You saying that that's how good he like th- you don't see this ever. Ever. It just, uh, he was my stat a couple weeks ago for breaking more records for breaking Dan Marino's record. Just look at his stats this season. I mean, he's he's got 30 touchdowns, two interceptions. Two interceptions for a team that throws the ball as much as Andy Reid's Kansas City Chiefs. He's got two picks. I mean, so not only does he have the best arm talent in the league, you know, obviously we know how good his deep balls are. We know how he can move around in the pocket. We know he can change his arm angle to be able to complete passes. We know he can win big games. There is no one like Patrick Mahomes. There genuinely may never be anyone like Patrick Mahomes. And I do think he gets MVP this year. But I also think you're right that at some point voter fatigue will come in and people just won't vote for him for MVP down the line because we're just so used to seeing him put up these just stupid numbers every week and every year no, i it, mean it literally my is. god he's amazing yeah. there's just no one like him and i th- i actually agree i think he will win mvp this season but in order for people to beat him down the stretch they're going to have to have lamar jackson 2019 type seasons where they're just unbelievable never been done before because patrick mahomes is already doing things that aren't done before so now he's the standard you have to be better than him to be in that conversation and the game on Sunday against the Buccaneers, which everyone was so excited for, big chance for the Bucks and Tom Brady to prove themselves. Patrick Mahomes had over 200 passing yards in the first quarter. It wasn't even close. The Buccaneers came back, but it was never close. I do not have a doubt when the Chiefs play that no matter how many points they're down, they will come back. It doesn't matter how many yards they have to go on third down they will convert. They score almost every single drive. Patrick Mahomes is absolutely lethal. The arm angle is one of his biggest strengths too. He can get the ball off no matter what. Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are number two and three in terms of receivers with the most receiving yards. So he has the weapons. Again, the Chiefs running game is not as strong as they'd like it to be, but it doesn't matter. The defense isn't as strong as they'd like it to be, but it doesn't matter because when you have potentially the best quarterback there ever will be it doesn't really matter who else is around him yeah as as i think we're both basically struggling to keep thinking of words to describe mahomes because he's just on that level and i i think that's the easiest way to (laughs) to describe him because man it's it's incredible yeah he is so good and he'll continue to be good he's 25 years old yeah that's that's unreal listen that's why he's a 500 million dollar man yep and he deserves it and the, yeah, like you said, he's worth every penny. 
he like, really is so it's it's incredible but all right that's that's our show then that's episode five of did you hear um like like we were talking about be sure to look out on sunday night for our first villanova game recap reaction which will be really exciting um and we'll be looking to do that throughout the season um be sure to follow us on twitter and instagram at did you hear pod and drop a subscription to make sure you get those automatic downloads on itunes follow it on spotify and tweet us what you think we love interacting with you guys it's a lot of fun um especially building this community and we're looking forward to doing more but all right emma that's it thanks guys see you next week